0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Pastor Farrell Shepherd of the Island Ford Baptist Church in Madisonville, Kentucky. And I'd like to welcome you to another Sending Forth the Light radio broadcast. This broadcast is for Monday, October 16th. Trust you're having a good day in the Lord and blessed of the Lord. And I'm glad to be back in Madisonville, Kentucky. Last week we had to pre-record all of our programs and we were in Maryland Last week in a camp meeting there at the River City Baptist Church in Port Deposit, Maryland. And we had a good time there, saw two young ladies get saved by the grace of God. Another young lady under deep conviction and praying that God's continuing to deal with her about her soul. And thank God for the blessing to be in that meeting. Lord bless me to be able to preach there and as well as hear several good sermons and have fellowship with the brethren and uh, even my wife met some people there to become friends with, and some she's already friends with. And so that's a blessing. We praise God for all that. But glad to be able to be back. And yesterday we had the Lord's Day services here at the Island Ford Baptist Church. We were privileged to have a missionary, Brother Phil Hyland, missionary to Australia, preach for us both services yesterday. My, he brought us a good message. And I believe God used that, and trust God will continue to bless him and help him. All right, well, we're going to get ready to go to the message here in a moment. But first, I've got a couple of good songs that I trust will be a blessing to you. All right, I hope you did enjoy those songs, and I trust they were a blessing to you. Well, we're going to get ready to go to the message as it was preached live from the pulpit of the Island Ford Baptist Church in Madisonville, Kentucky. Mark chapter number two. Mark chapter number two, and I'm going to use this text this morning and look at it in, really, to be honest with you, just a practical practical approach. And I'll give you the story and then to put it in our practice mode, that we can see how to use it for the glory of God. Mark chapter 2 is very familiar, I'm sure. Verse number 1, the Bible said, And again he entered into Capernaum after some days. And it was noised that he was in the house. Straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And He preached the Word unto them. Thank God. Amen. He didn't have a puppet show. He didn't have a celebrity give a testimony. He preached the Word unto them. And they came unto Him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto Him for the press, they uncovered the roof where He was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, He said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Amen. This text that I read to you, I said I know is familiar. We've read it numerous times. A matter of fact, I love it. It's a great text of the power of God. A lot of applications can be made to that. We've heard it talking about the miracle that was performed. We've heard it preached about the, uh, the cooperation of these men that worked together to get this one man to the Lord, that he could get the help that he needs. And we've heard it used as an illustration of salvation because the first thing the Lord did for this man was not to heal him. He saved him. You notice I stopped reading verse number 5. And when Jesus saw their faith, He said to the sick of the palsy, still sick of the palsy, He said, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Because salvation's more important than physical healing. It would be better to go to heaven, saved by the grace of God, sick of the palsy than to go to hell with a good, firm, healthy body. It's more important to be saved. Amen. But then he says in verse number 6, I stopped reading, but there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their heart. It's interesting to me that even the Lord had critics. (laughs) People that question what he's doing, what he's saying. They said, verse 7, Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? Well, that's right. Nobody but God can forgive sins. Amen. Priests don't have the ability to forgive sins. I don't care what they say. Preachers don't have the ability to forgive sins. Parents don't have the ability to forgive sins. Only God has the ability to forgive sins. But they're accusing Christ of speaking blasphemy. You know why? Because they're thinking blasphemous thoughts. They know that only God can forgive sins, but they're denying that Jesus Christ is God. What is blasphemy? But to deny that Jesus Christ is God. Amen. But he goes on in verse number 9 and, well, in verse number 8. And immediately when Jesus perceived in His Spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, He said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Let me stop just a moment and say something about that. Our Lord knows the thoughts and the intents of the heart. That's one reason why going to church on Sunday when the Word of God's preached and the Holy Spirit moves sometimes can be uncomfortable because God knows what we're thinking. God invades in some ways our thoughts and He starts dealing with us about the thoughts and the intents of our hearts and he quits he starts questioning, What are you doing? What are you thinking? What are you saying? Why are you living the way you're living? He starts questioning that in our own mind. Amen. And verse number nine he goes on he says, Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and take up thy bed and walk. In other words, if 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 I can forgive his sins, Then I can make him walk. And in order to prove to you that God has forgiven his sins, I'm going to tell him to get up and walk. And that's exactly what he did. Verse 10, But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose... Took up his bed and went forth before them all insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. Amen and amen. Now here's the thought, and this is just introduction, laying out the groundwork for my sermon, and my sermon, Lord, will not be long. The thought is if a person really gets saved, there ought to be some evidence. That there's salvation there. Now, I hear what people say, and I read, and some men even make a doctrine of it, to say that there's no evidence of salvation. But Jesus said, if I can make him, if I can forgive his sins, then I can make him walk. Amen. And he said, in order to prove to you, and by the way, our salvation, we don't have to prove it to God. We have to prove it to one another. God knows whether you're saved or not. Whether anybody else knows. Amen. God knows. Amen. But here's what He's saying. He's saying there'll be some evidence that when you're changed on the inside, that there'll be some outward demonstration of that. Here's here's the outward demonstration. What God said when Jesus said, do that. You know what He did? He did it. Just exactly what Jesus said for Him to do. I believe when a person gets saved by the grace of God, I, I don't believe they'll be rebelling and bucking against the will of God. I believe they'll be submitted to the will of God. They will have repented of their old lifestyle. They will have accepted Christ and surrendered to His leadership. Amen. Now that's not to say that they live perfectly and never, never... Disobey. That's not saying that at all. But it's saying that if there's a constant disobedience and never been a change towards obedience, I don't believe there's scriptural evidence that they've ever been saved by the grace of God. Amen. Now with that thought in mind, that's just my introduction to the, to the message, but let me just, let me just review this story that took place. And I want to ask this question. This is my sermon title. What did they have that we don't? What did they have that we don't? Now, I'm not talking about all the men that were sitting there. And I'm not even talking about our Lord or this one man that got healed. But I'm thinking specifically about these four men that managed to get this one man to Christ. What did they have that we don't have? Now, think with me about the story. You know it that these four men apparently had a friend that was hopelessly, Lost. That had no way of helping himself. He had no way of getting to God. He was paralyzed. That's what palsy is. The palsy meant there there's a paralysis. That's the word we get from that. There's a paralysis in his body. He's not able to walk, he's not able maybe maybe the paralysis could affect different parts of the body. But maybe he has a he's not even able to feed himself or whatever the case is. But apparently here's a man in dire need of some help. Four men that are willing to help him, but they know there's really one man that can really help him. And so those four men determine we're going to do our best to get this one man to the one man who can really help him. Amen. Amen. Now, they were convinced that Jesus could and would do something to help their friend. And so they're willing to get him. Now, he can't he can't get up and walk to their buggy. So they got to take him in his bed. They take him bed and all. Four of them get on either side apparently. And they carry him to the house where Jesus was. But the problem with that, the Bible says that they couldn't get in the house. Because of the press. There was such a crowd because it was noise abroad that Jesus was in the house. There's such a crowd there that they couldn't even get in the door. So what did they do? They didn't give up. They decided we're gonna we're gonna go a different route. And so they somehow managed to get up on top of the house and they start tearing shingles, if we could say it that way, tearing the tile off of the top of that house to let this man down. I say again, these men were convinced that if this friend of theirs could get to Jesus, that friend could get the help that he needed. And so they devised a plan, they executed the plan. That actually got him down through that roof in front of Jesus. And the Bible said, when Jesus saw their faith, verse number 5, when Jesus saw their faith, He immediately saved and eventually healed their friend. Amen. Now, my thought for today is that I'd like to consider the fact that these four men had a burden these four men was interested in helping somebody. Can I say this? I'd say that there's more than four of us here that have a friend that's hopelessly lost. Probably every one of us have family members that we grieve over the route their life has taken. We grieve over the decisions that they themselves have made Perhaps we grieve over some of the circumstances that they are finding themselves in. And some of them, by the way, some of them hate where they're at themselves. But they can't seem to get over it. They can't seem to get out of it. And we have friends that are like this man. They're paralyzed. They have no ability to help themselves. I will say they're helplessly lost. They're hopelessly lost. They're in need of coming into contact with Jesus Christ. That's their need. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask why it doesn't happen today like it happened here in Mark chapter number 2. Why do miracles not take place today like they did then? I just simply ask the question, what did they have that we don't? In order to answer that question, first of all, I'd, I'd approach it from this angle. This will be where the majority of my message will be, to be honest with you. This first angle is what they didn't have. There's some things we just think, well, you know, they had something we don't have. And so we, we try to rationalize, well, we're living in the last days. They wasn't living in the last days. Hey, we're living in the early days of the gospel. Oh no, they were in the early days of the gospel, but Jesus said those were the last days. We're certainly in the latter part of the last days, no doubt about that. Uh, But some things that they didn't have. Number one, I'll say this, they did not have special grace that's not available to everybody. These men did not have some kind of special... They were not endued with special power that everybody doesn't have access to. See, we're living in a day, if we're not careful... We'll think those men were had some kind of supernatural connection. Those men were some kind of superstar in God's army. And by the way, we're we're prone to make men superstars in our own eyes. When God doesn't call them a superstar. Nobody's supposed to get the credit for the glory but Jesus Christ. God said He's not going to share His glory with anybody. That is right. He won't share His glory with you. He won't share His glory with me. He won't share His glory with anybody that we think ought to be on a pedestal. not going to happen. He's not going to share His glory. And these men did not have some kind of special grace. We need not imagine that God treated these four men any better than He would treat us. Need not suspect that God would do things for those men that He would not do for us. We know, according to the Scripture, that God is no respecter of persons. Amen. Matter of fact, I found that phrase five times in my New Testament. I'm just going to read you. I'm not going to have you turn there. Acts chapter 10, verse 34 and 35. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted of him. Romans chapter number 2 verse number 11 Paul said for there is no respect of persons with God Amen Ephesians chapter 6 verse number 9 and ye masters do the same things unto them forbearing and threatening knowing that your master also is in heaven neither is there respect of persons with him So he said God's not a respecter of persons. Your master is not a respecter of persons. Colossians 3 25, but he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. And then the last one, 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 17, and if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. God's not a respecter of persons. God does not love your neighbor more than He loves you. And on the flip coin, He doesn't love you more than He loves your neighbor. We hear the song, and it's it's a good song. It says, He loves me like I was His only child. That is true. Amen. He loves us all in that same vein. Now, I, I, I think He's... Pleased with some more than others. And we can see that, the pleasing of the fathers. But the love of God, God's not a respecter of persons. Can you imagine somebody sitting in that crowd that day? The roof starts coming off. And here they're starting to let this man down the roof. And somebody in that crowd says, you know, I believe Jesus is going to do something for that man because that man's special. No. That man was no more special than the one sitting on the front pew or the one sitting on the back pew. Or maybe they'd say, you know what? God's going to do something for that man. You know, he's special. No, no. Maybe somebody say, well, you know, he helped him, but he wouldn't help us. He's not a respecter of persons. The Sunday morning I got saved, 5th Sunday in June 1974, when I got saved by the grace of God, I don't know how many people was in the church that day, to be honest with you, I I don't have a, a clue. I, I can't remember. But I, I do know this. I was the only person who got saved that morning. Do I believe I was the only sinner in that building? Probably not. I wasn't thinking about other sinners in that building. I was the one who felt like the spotlight was on me. Right. Amen. But I, I will say this. I don't think that God said, you know, I believe I'll save one person. That's all I'm going to save today. Just that one person, whoever gets here first. No. He's not a respecter of persons. It's not that he's only got just so much grace. He he can only do so much. (laughs) No. If he can save one, he can save the whole crowd. And if he would save one, he would save whosoever will. I believe that. Amen. Well, can you imagine people saying, look at what Jesus is doing for that man. He's helping him, but he wouldn't help us. We might as well go back home, go back to bed with our problems. We might as well just lay and wallow in our problems because there's nothing for us. Jesus is better to others than he is to us. No, that's not true. He's not a respecter of persons. And that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. So we're going to have to break in the message right there. But Lord willing, we'll be back tomorrow and continue this message. Hope you'll tune in this same time every Monday through Friday for another Sending Forth the Light radio broadcast. Until then, this is Pastor Farrell Shepherd, saying good day and God bless you.